0: football CFB today by one of the iconic voices of football in the UK whether it's Scottish football whether it's the Premier League this man has commentated in some of the biggest games there are in Britain. Ian Crocker thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure how are you doing? Yeah not bad at all and how are you doing because football's obviously back it's been back in England for a while now what's it been like commentating with games with no fans? It's been a bit weird, uh, to say the least. As you would expect,
1: um, you, you kind of get used to it a little bit, having done quite a few games in England. And it's all been brilliantly organised, but it's just such a, a strange experience. Shows how important the fans are, really. Um, not that we didn't know that anyway, but yeah, you you get to the, the the sort of stadiums about three hours before kickoff, and there's there's nothing to actually do, so you just sit on the gantry. You get your temperature taken twice before you go in, um, and you fill out questionnaires and so on and eventually get to do the game. and it's, it's been great getting away from the stadium as quickly rather than being sat in a traffic jam for, uh, uh, for an hour or an hour and a half. Although I think I quite fancy some of those traffic jams now just to get the fans back in the arenas. But to be fair to the clubs and the players, they've been brilliant at getting everything done and, and finished and sorted. So fair play to them for that.
0: One of the things I really want to ask you about is your passion and love for football because... Being a football commentator, you give us passion and abundance when you're calling a match, but although you commentate in Scottish football, you're, 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 a, you're a West Ham fan, that's your club. Just how much do they mean to you as well?
1: Quite a bit, yeah. Um, I started following West Ham when I was uh, nine years old because they had the same colours as my local team, Weymouth, in Dorset. So when you're nine years old, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And We won the FA Cup in the first year that I supported them in '75, and again in 1980. So I thought this is going well. I Haven't won much since, but hey, uh, once you once you're in, you're in. And uh, luckily, I got to work there as well, doing the public address, Tanoi, and meet a lot of the players, and, and then go on to work with those players on, in radio and television. So I could do consider. People sometimes say commentators don't realise realise how lucky they are, but I do realise how lucky I've been in fairness.
0: And in terms of the club itself, when you're calling a West Ham game, is that difficult at all? Not really. Um, You actually switch off. It sounds a bit
1: corny, but professionalism takes over. Uh, You switch off and you get on with the game and it becomes just another game. And I have commentated on them getting beat 7-1 twice by Blackburn and Manchester United and also losing a playoff final as well uh, to Crystal Palace. So um, and at the end of that game, actually, somebody said to me, sorry about your team. And, And I've actually forgotten because I was so wrapped up in the game that Palace had won. Uh, so you, you do put it to the back of your mind. People think that, that that doesn't happen very easily, but it actually does happen easily. So, you know, it's, it's not like I'm going to break into a chorus of I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles during a commentary, although it would be
0: quite a laugh if I did, I suppose. <laughs> In terms of your heroes growing up, who were they, the, the players you first looked at and thought, you know, I, I would love to be him? Um, Billy Bonds was my first one uh, because he was just
1: some figure on the pitch. Great player. Great guy, uh, very quiet off the pitch, but an absolute man mountain on it. And uh, you know, captain, a leader, hell of a player, and a uh, one, you know, mostly one club man. Well, nearly all West Ham. Um, and another guy that I got to work with uh, when I was working there on the tunnel, he was in charge of the youth team, so I was quite close to him then. And also did a couple of games on the radio. I think he he realised that. Uh, he realised that he was my hero. I'd never actually tell him because he's such a humble guy. He'd be totally embarrassed. But I think he probably had a, he, he had a fair idea that you know things were how they were. But uh, it was just great to, to be in his company. And, and uh, like a lot of players from that era, you know, just, just a fantastic guy.
0: You're synonymous with Scottish football, as I mentioned in the intro. How did your move to commentating on Scottish football come about? Because you started working on Aston Villa and Birmingham, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, I went to well from West Ham. I went to Capital Radio in London with Jonathan Pierce, who's now on BBC, and Steve Wilson, who also is, and Dave Clark. We had a great team there back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Julian Waters as well, who's on Sky. Rob Watson. Uh, so we had a good team. And but there went uh, Jonathan was the main man. and I had the chance to go to Birmingham to commentate on Aston Miller and Birmingham West Brom Wolves when Capital took over BRMB, the local radio station there. That was a great time in the mid-90s with Ron Atkinson and Barry Fry in charge, never a dull moment. Um, and then uh, I was doing a bit of freelance work for Capital, and my first Scottish game was actually Aberdeen's playoff with Dunfermline in, in uh, was it 95, I think, um, which I did for Grampian TV, because uh, one of the guys I was working for at Sky, Colin Davison, used to work for Grampian, so I had contacts there. And then... Um, in '98, I got the SPL gig. Funnily enough, nearly every job I've worked in, I've ever had a Scottish boss or an influential Scottish person along the way. So uh, it, that was weird. It was Richard Park at Capital Radio, he used to be at Clyde, of course, doing commentaries himself. Um, and then a guy called Andy Melvin at Sky, a big Aberdeen fan, who, uh, who gave me the gig on the SPL 22 years ago now. never thought I'd still be doing it now. Some people probably wish I'm not, but uh, it's been quite a ride, really enjoyable. And a, and a fantastic country.
0: The one thing I, I've got to, to apologise, but I want to put you on the spot with this because I've always wanted to know personally, um, because you've commented in Scottish football for so long, do you have an affinity to our national team, maybe even more so than England? Definitely.
1: Um, I w- would watch Scotland ahead of England, not, not just because of my work, but uh, I think when you follow a team for 22 years, and I know it's ironic that, that they haven't qualified for a major tournament in that time, but not my fault. Um, uh, you, you do become close and I still get a bit of stick for being an English commentator on the Scottish, not much these days. But uh, I do have an affinity and, and I really hope that you know they do make it to a major tournament soon for everyone really, the players and, and the colleagues in the media because I have been lucky to be at two or three major tournaments and, and it's terrific um, to work at. Tottenhamie, that tournament would be fantastic as well of course and I think the moment is not far away when Scotland, and I do call them we and people take the mickey at me, but that's the way I feel because I've been covering them for so long. I do feel that uh, before long we'll be at a major tournament.
0: And in terms of Scotland as a country and, and as a footballing nation as well, because you've worked in Scottish football for so long, just how much affinity do you have to the game as a whole? Because down south, you get you get don't get me wrong you do get pundits and commentators who respect the scottish game but you also get quite a few who are quite dismissive because to be fair to them they maybe don't watch it as much
1: yeah i think that's the case i mean uh, to be honest i you know I flip between the two countries quite a lot and in, in recent years i haven't really come across that much you know and um everyone loves watching the old firm of course i know it's not all about them but people down south do want to watch that game um and yeah, if I have to stick up for it, I will, because I think what we have... Well, we know what we have. We don't really need to worry about what other people think. And uh, I, I love the passion of it all from the players who play from the heart and obviously from the fans and so on. So uh, I think we're comfortable with what we have in Scotland as a, as a product. So, uh, you know, if other people want to have a pop at it, then fine. But I, one thing that does... Surprise me is that it's often compared to the premier league and i don't think you can compare it to the premier league because it's a whole different ball game down there obviously financially and and so on so you know you, you can't really compare it to the two but you know you can get bad games in any league and get good games in any league and uh i've always looked at every game you know thinking this could be the best game we ever do i always remember going to motherwell Hibs in 2010 thinking. Well, you know, it's an end-of-season game. They were both chasing Europe. Even so, this might not be up to much. And it ends 6-6 and and a night that we'll probably never see the like of again. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, what we've got is good. And at least we enjoy it, even if other people can't.
0: You mentioned that six-each game. And I have to admit, during lockdown, when when Sky played the match, I watched it in full because just one (laughs) one of those games where it's just... You watch it, and even though I know it finishes 6 all because I remember it at the time, when it's 6-2 at the time, you go, right, this game's done. And then, <laughs> I, you, I don't know why, maybe maybe it's just naivety from my part, but I just found myself getting caught up in it again, as if it was brand new. Yeah. Easily done. I, I often watch the, there's a short edit of the game on
1: YouTube, and I watch that quite often because, um, for the same reason as well, there are things you forget that happen you know, happen happened in that game and of course at 5-6 when you know Graham Smith rushes out gives away a penalty he didn't have the best of nights but then he saves the penalty and then obviously Yukovic there was so much going on in that game it could actually have finished 9-9 um but I do remember saying either on the either at 2-6 or 3-6 that you know Motherwell aren't out of this yet. and uh and it was an extraordinary comeback, which could have been even better. If they scored the penalty. You know, we don't know. But uh, I remember bumping into Brian Rice now at Hamilton, who was Yogi's assistant that day for Hibbs. A couple of weeks later at Glasgow Airport, and he said, even at six-two, they weren't <laughs> particularly comfortable. But it was an extraordinary game. Uh, we we will almost certainly never see the like again.
0: And in terms of Scottish football, you mentioned the fact that the Celtic versus Rangers or Rangers versus Celtic match is the The sort of flagship match for Scottish football, especially down south with the attention that that brings. What's it like commentating on a match like that? I mean, now we're talking about fans not being in the ground. But when you go to either Celtic Park or Ibrox, what's it like being in that cauldron of noise and when you're the person who's calling that game for the nation?
1: Brilliant, it's what we all want, isn't it? You know, it's what the players want, it was the referees want, the fans want to watch it, and so on. Um, I've done, a, I think I've, I was trying to work out how many I've done, and to my regret, I haven't kept the list of how many games overall I've done, which which is a shame because it would have been quite good to have. But I did manage to work out the old firm, and I think it, it was a, at some point last season, it was about 55 56 of them. First one I did was a nil nil in '98, but it was still incident packed and a fantastic experience at both grounds. Yes, sometimes. Things go over the edge, we know that. But for me, it's it's a unique sporting occasion. There is nothing quite like it. And when, on the day of the Derby, on the day of the Old Firm, uh, I'm like awake at, I don't know what players must be like, because I'm awake at six o'clock, wearing to go, buzzing and can't sleep. And uh, the games go by very quickly when you're commentating on them. And so much happens that there's so much to get in always. So at the end, you're always thinking, crikey, I hope we did, we did that justice or called everything right and so on. Um, uh, but special games to do And uh, each and every one of them I've just really enjoyed And uh, long may they continue uh, Hopefully we're fans
0: Absolutely, and I think from, I spoke to Tam Cowan recently And he gets sticks People say he's a Celtic fan or a Rangers fan And I always think that's an indication of you Or the person in charge doing their job correctly So when people say to you "Oh, You're supporting Celtic, you're supporting Rangers I always think when you're getting it from both sides That means you're doing something right I agree. Uh, I mean, my uh, Twitter feed after an
1: all-firm game is is, uh, certainly busy. Um, A lot of people seem to think I'm a Celtic fan, which is not true. Uh, Then you get people who say you're a Rangers fan. I think... um, it's. I'm from a little sleepy village in Dorset, so I genuinely am a neutral. I know that and always will be. People will disagree. But um, to me, it's all part of the fun, as long as it stays as uh, panther, which it mostly does. Um, it's all part of the fun, but it's actually great to be a neutral on an occasion like that because there aren't many around when those two meet, that's for sure. Um, you know, Celtic have obviously been winning most of the trophies lately, so, you know, I saw something. Saying I saw a tweet or got a tweet saying I sounded more excited when Celtic scored or lifted a trophy than when Rangers did. I mean, you know, to me that's all uh, utter nonsense, of course. But um, but you get used to it, and in many ways, it's uh, it's part of the fun as long as it doesn't get a bit out of
0: hand. Absolutely, and and one of the things that obviously you you probably asked a lot, but I think it's important to remember that the Henrik Larsson goal from from many years ago—that is sensational. I mean, is that something that? that even players within the game that played then mentioned to you?
1: Yeah, uh, people still... I was actually at Glasgow Central a couple of months ago and some lab was outside shouting it to me. Uh, everyone else was looking around thinking, what's going on? Uh, but it's it's great that uh, people remember that. and It's ironic that it's, it's basically, it was a simple three words that summed up a magical moment in... In the time we've been doing Scottish football. And uh, yeah, a lot of Celtic fans still quote that to me, and uh, uh, and that's good. Although it's quite frightening. It was 20 years ago. I better come up with a, another line by now. But um, yeah, that was an extraordinary game. I mean, it, it was 3 0 after 11 and a half minutes, I think. 3 1 at half time, and Rangers had a goal wrongly disallowed. If they got back to 3 2, who knows? It was such a crazy day. But I think whatever would have happened, uh, Henry and Larson probably would have uh, stepped up and sorted it out for Celtic that day.
0: And on the other side, I remember the, the Pedro Mendes goal uh, against Celtic from, from the corner. And I just that's another goal I remember your commentary on and just thinking, what a moment that is.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I like to put a full stop between words down again to uh, <laughs> heighten the effect. But that was an absolute scream. That's something that obviously uh, worked on and, and it came good to, to great effect. Stunning hit. There's been a few over the years. Nakamura's as well. Um When he scored uh, against Rangers, his first all-firm goal, the one that he scored from distance, well, it would be with him, wouldn't it? Because I was waffling at the time and I suddenly saw the ball go in towards him and thought, oh, he's going to have a go, shut up and try and capture the moment. And uh, that's what it's all about, coming up. You know, the players do what the players do and we just try and capture the moment. And uh, it's it's quite humbling that people uh, quote lines at you, but ultimately, that's what we're here to do.
0: You mentioned capturing the moment. I always wonder what it must be like when you're in that commentary booth, in the gantry, because you mentioned the fact there that you're having a chat and then the ball breaks to Nakamura and your instinct tells you this could be a big moment. Is the biggest fear as a commentator missing that big moment? Because in football, something can happen out of nothing.
1: Yeah, most definitely. You know, so I mean, there was a cup semi-final, I think, when Adam Rooney scored after, I can't remember how many seconds now for Aberdeen, but... Quite quick, I think, and I always like to do a sort of opening line on kickoff. I was still doing my opening line when I saw Adam (laughs) running through to score, so I just had to obliterate that and and go with a goal. So uh, you you keep learning in this job. Like maybe you shouldn't say so much on uh, kickoff because something could happen instantly. But yeah, it's it's, listen. There's been times when you can get the goal scorer wrong, which is the biggest sin, but can happen sometimes. Can happen. It's happened a couple of times, and. uh, you, you get on with it. But yeah, you could, you're basically, uh, you're focusing and concentrating pretty pretty extensively for 90 minutes to the point that when the full-time whistle goes, you always feel a bit, uh, a bit uh, jaded having uh, had your brain switched on for so long about anything that could happen in the game. But uh, listen, it's a fantastic job to have recommended to anyone who could do it.
0: And something that intrigues me with commentators, I've spoken to quite a few, is how The preparation's always very thorough, but it's completely different from person to person. How do you do yours? Do you have individual cards? Do you have sheets of A4? How do you, how do, you do that? I have, uh, I was just trying to think, of I have two sheets of
1: A4 paper with the grids and enough room for information on 21 players plus the manager, uh, I'll move on to the back of the sheet if there's extra players around or even a second sheet just to cover all the squad numbers these days. And then a separate page of uh, general stats about the game, which there probably be about 30 stats that you might use. But I always say, yeah, everyone is well-prepared and everyone has their own way of doing it, their own style. But um, if the game's good, like the old firm, sometimes... There's, there's always some great stats on them, but the game goes 100 miles an hour and you don't have time to get them in. I That's don't, I don't how it should be. They're only there to fill in the odd gap. In. I remember doing a game, Norway, Azerbaijan once that finished 0-0, but absolutely nothing happened in the game whatsoever. So I was regurgitating my stats over and over again just to fill the time. But if a game is good, you don't really have to throw any stats in. It takes care of itself.
0: And in regards to working with co-commentators, how important is it that you build up a relationship with them to make them feel comfortable on air with you? Because w- w- I'll just be honest with you, I think when you're on with Davy Proven, I really like that combination because you've got your, your booming commentary, as, as you're renowned for, and davy has got that sort of soothing, calming voice when and he'll pitch in when, when, when he needs to. Just, just how important is that relationship?
1: Yeah, very important. I've been lucky with co-commentators over the years. I've worked with quite a few and stayed in touch with nearly all of them. Um, and obviously, I worked with Davey for years and Andy Walker as well. Chris Camaro when I did the Football League for four years. Cammy was something else. He was, he was so into the game he was bouncing around the, <laughs> gantry making the cameras shudder. Brilliant. Uh, every, everyone's different. The co-coms. You know, at the end of the day, the commentators shout names out. <laughs> well, a bit more than that, maybe, but that's the main thing. And the co-coms have got to properly analyse and, you know, in a split second, various incidents uh, and, and use their experience from their playing careers to do that. But, yeah, it's important that you you kind of know and me and Davey and Andy would hardly ever crash each other now. And if, it's, if it happens, it's it's a surprise because we're so used to each other. And when I'm used to when Davy or Andy's going to come in and, and vice versa, they're used to me crap on or talk on rather Uh, so yeah it becomes a good partnership over the years where you just know each other off by heart really.
0: One of the people I've got to ask you about who you worked with was, was Craig Burley because a man who is not short of an opinion I spoke to Craig recently and when he was talking about commentators that he worked with he referenced you as one of the ones that he really loved working with especially covering the game up here just just what was Craig like
1: I hated him, actually. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Craig was really good. Yeah, he's never he is never, short, he's never short of an opinion outside of football or off the telly or anywhere. I knew, I knew Craig when, he, when I was working at Capital Radio and he was a young player at uh, Chelsea. And he always made himself available for interviews and he was uh, a funny guy. And um, yeah, great to work with. I remember dr- we, in the Satanta days, driving him up to Scotland. from He lived in Nottingham. I was in near Birmingham. We had to drive up on Christmas Day night uh, for a game on Boxing Day, and uh, he never stopped moaning the whole way. And it was foggy and horrible and all that. And uh, but it's one of those nights you look back on and remember fondly after a few years. But yeah, top top boy Craig. He's now uh, he's now telling America his opinions and uh, <laughs> uh, and doing a really good job. And I'm pleased for him because he's uh, made a good uh, career over there. Uh, Obviously, we miss him a bit over here, but I'd never say that to his face.
0: (laughs) And in terms of the the art of commentary, when it comes to calling a match on the gantry, in Scottish football, are there any gantries that are particularly scary? Because I know at times you look down south, I think it might be Portsmouth, I could be wrong with that, where it's quite old-fashioned still and you have to go up ladders, etc., to get to it.
1: Portsmouth, yeah, you have to... I think they've declared it actually finally under unsafe, uh, which doesn't surprise me. But you had to climb up a rusty ladder and then there's a bit of a leap of faith at the top to get actually get across to the gantry, which was usually full of pigeon deposits and all that. But I think they're using a different one now. I have to say, I, that was part of the, the, the fun for me because it's a proper old ground front and park. But I love it there. But going back to Scotland, there's a few. I think Arbroath uh, was the coldest place I've ever been for a cup replay against Celtic. Uh, and I was, it was so windy as well that uh, I was asked if I wanted to, well not asked, I was told actually that I should wear a harness to avoid being blown into the North Sea, which of course is right next to the to the stadium. And I was like, don't be silly, I'm not wearing a, a harness, there's no way a fat commentator is going to be blown into the sea by a bit of wind. Well, t- i tell you what, the wind certainly had a go that night, it was uh, it was something else, it was so cold. Uh, I mean, we're used to cold and all that in Scotland, but there was something about that night in our both that was particularly freezing and it nearly went to extra time there uh, so there was i think our both had a great chance to equalize right in the last minute and um would have been a great story but i think a few of us were thinking i think 90 minutes would be enough i remember doing peterhead rangers in august as well when when rangers obviously went down to the bottom division and we we had no we were just on the roof there was no uh nothing to protect us and somebody must have thought it would be all right. In, August in Peterhead, but I tell you what, that was a, an experience and a half as uh, as well, <laughs> with the wind coming in. Uh, yeah, some. Uh, but I love these these grounds. To me, that's proper football. And uh, you know, sadly, we don't do the Scottish Cup anymore. But it used to give you a great opportunity to go to these uh, places, and uh, it was was great fun.
0: And in terms of the Scottish Cup, when when you are commentating on a cup final, it's a showpiece event for the fans of, of both teams that are in the final and also a showpiece event for the nation as well, just what's that been like through the years because again Celtic and Rangers win their first more than their fair share of trophies but you've also had the, the pleasure of commentating on what we could call less favoured teams less fancied teams winning cup finals, the likes of uh, the final uh, Hibs Rangers comes to mind um, yeah. Johnston winning the Scottish Cup as well, I mean just what are those stories like? Yeah, good. I mean, to, to be
1: there when St. Johnson did it and Inverness, Cali Thistle. I mean, you know, fantastic achievements for both clubs. Um, to actually be able to be there and call it is, uh, is a privilege. Um, yeah, I've done, uh, I think it was 19 I've done, but 2002 stood out with, the, with Peter crowns last minute winner. fantastic final. I love the one-off occasion of a cup final where anything can happen. And uh, that was uh, some game. But twenty sixteen for me, with apologies to Rangers, was was also a bit special because it, when Hibs hadn't won the Scottish Cup for one hundred and fourteen years, you, as a commentator, you kind of wanted to happen on your shift, and uh, it did in extraordinary circumstances. Um, and uh, there was a sequence of sort of late goals being scored at, at that end in the in the Scottish Cup final that went on for a few years them if, if I'm right, um, and and just just Hibs actually winning the Scottish Cup after so long was was something that was... You you have to come up with the right words for that because nobody's been able to say it for 114 years, so hopefully we did it justice.
0: Do you feel added pressure or expectation when commentating on a cup final or a showpiece occasion, or do you try and just get into a habit of it's business as usual? I think the good thing is that when you do the really,
1: really big games, you do feel a bit of... uh, Bit of nerves and, and so on, you know. Uh, I think that's similar for players. If you're not feeling nervous, not that I can all to them, but if you haven't got a bit of nerves about you, then it's probably not right. So yeah, cup final day, especially, you're thinking, well, you know, you've got one hit at this really as to what might happen and who might win it. So yeah, there's a little bit there, but over the years, you, you become more and more experienced. So you just uh, you learn to then once once a game starts to just in, enjoy it and. Um, yeah, I think it'd be wrong if you didn't feel a bit of an edge like before an old-firm game when, you know, the, the, the world is watching and and it's the same with the cup final. So uh, I quite like that feeling of uh, a bit of edginess and um, it, it works for me.
0: And, and going back to the to English Premier League football, who have been your favourite players to, to watch and have the joy of commentating on over the years? Because so many iconic players, Henri, Bergkamp, etc., spring to mind immediately.
1: Yeah, loads. Um, I was lucky enough in Manchester United's triple winning season to do a lot of their games that kicked off at three o'clock on a Saturday. And there, there were actually more back then than did, rather than now, where it would, be, would have been fewer. So I got to watch that team quite a lot. And funny enough, it was, it was against West Ham when uh, it was Beckham, Keane, Skulls, Giggs, uh, the usual suspects. Sorry about dog barking in the background there. Um, and uh, it, West Ham actually took the lead. And went one 0 up, and then should have gone 2 0 up, but uh, Manchester United then scored seven goals. skull has got a hat-trick, including a cheeky backheel. Um, Beckham floated in a fantastic free-kick, and I have to say, watching that team at that time, I still would say that's one of the best teams I've seen. That was, uh, I think, that game was the season after they'd won the treble, um, and the, it was just a team at such a peak and uh, terrific to watch but the ones you mentioned as well there's been so many over the years Um, you know Henri and Bergkamp yeah fabulous but um, yeah there's there's quite a few you could name
0: absolutely there's there's so many and and something that's just come into my mind at the moment as well as we're speaking as a commentator you rely on on your voice how how nerve-wracking can it be? I mean, everyone gets a cold or a sore throat. For a commentator, that just I'm just imagining that that's the worst possible scenario. Yep. I'm
1: quite bunged up at the minute, actually. I think it's the pollen or... Uh, I didn't think I had hay fever, but I'm starting to change my mind. So, uh I feel rather bunged up as it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember doing a game that I should never have done, really, because I had a really serious throat infection. I mean, we all get sore throats and colds when you get on with that. But this was like a proper rug on my throat. And... Um, I forget what they called it but there was a name for it. It It's a proper infection and I was due to be doing Hearts Celtic and um, as a commentator you're selfish and you just want to do your game and basically not let anyone else do it. So uh, I carried on doing it and I so knew that Jan Venegora Hesselink would score and if I said his name in full it probably finished me off and he did score Uh, and uh, I was just going to say Big Jan but I thought I'll try his whole name and it's on YouTube somewhere, the voice sounds utterly terrible. If I'm being honest with myself, I shouldn't have done the game. But like I say, us commentators can be a, a selfish bunch. But um, thankfully, uh, in, in recent years, the throat has stayed reasonably intact. So that's been quite good.
0: You mentioned earlier that Scotland haven't been to a major tournament for many years. But but you have with with, with your role. And you're one of the, the few people that's commentated on North Korea as they were beaten 7-0 by Portugal. What was that like? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was. Uh, I don't think it was a great World Cup, that. But I was actually based in Johannesburg most of the time for that work, working as a freelancer then for ITV, and it was a. Good, it was good. It was good to do the games, and it was. Uh, it was an interesting place, uh, for, for sure, in many ways. But uh, yeah, Portugal. Uh, Portugal were pretty good that day, uh, led by Cristiano, of course. And uh, I've been lucky to cover them quite a few times, and, and the tournaments uh, are terrific to do. I also went to the USA and. 94 for Capital Radio, which was just incredible. And I, I was working for Capital Stroke BRMB during Euro 96. I actually covered this, covered Scotland mainly um, when they should have qualified. Of course, I think uh, when they batted Switzerland with a 1-0 massacre and, of course, the England-Holland game was the same night. So close, should have got through. Uh, so um, tournament's fantastic, but we don't get to cover too many of them because it, they're mainly terrestrial television events now
0: well that's very true and and just on North Korea see when you're doing your research was that particularly hard to research a lot of their players to be fair ITV had a a, a, like Sky have a a set of
1: statos who uh, put some good information together for you and uh, it was hard to find videos of them to watch but there were one or two around and um but yeah never easy, and uh, some of the names can be a bit tricky as well, but uh, you get used to that kind of things you there are ways of finding out, shall we say, although to be fair, Portugal barely let them touch the ball, so it's fairly straightforward in that respect
0: <laughs> and it's covering football commentating, and also sometimes interviewing managers post match who have been the biggest characters over the years you've encountered in your role?
1: I think the best person I, the person I most enjoyed interviewing was. Because you knew you had to be on your toes, and uh, you knew you had to ask a reasonably uh, sensible question. Um, never had the hair dryer treatment from him. Came close a couple of times, I think, but I, I saw it happen to others, and uh, it was a sight. But just because of uh, who he was and what he achieved, you know, to, to be interviewing him, you knew you had to be on your toes. Whereas sometimes interviews can be a bit, oh, uh, you know, same old question, same old answer, so and so you knew you had to get it right with him. So Bobby Robson was another who, uh, I remember doing Newcastle and I said to Bobby, what did you think of the game? And Bobby answered everything of major note that happened in the game in three minutes without stopping. And I, I didn't have to come back. I just kind of went, cool, oh, thank you for the end. Because I was trying to think of the next question. And as I thought of it, he was covering it and he just went off on one for three minutes. And uh That was extraordinary. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's, Arsene Wenger was good because you can ask him absolutely anything and he'd answer you. Martin O'Neill, I interviewed quite a bit at Leicester and that was always fascinating because he is a fascinating character um, who obviously I later got to deal with at Celtic as well.
0: We've seen examples of touchline reporters, I know Jeff Shreves a few times since the lockdown with Jurgen Klopp especially, sometimes you encounter someone on potentially a frosty day, how do you handle that when you're asking the questions?
1: Yeah, it's tricky, uh, I mean Jeff's been doing it for years and as a lot of the guys have and uh, I, I call it the hardest job on the on our outside broadcasts because you know managers generally come to you 10-15 minutes after the game, sometimes even earlier. And they're still full of the emotion that a game can bring. So it's really tricky to, uh, to call that right. And sometimes they can, take, they can take things the wrong way, even when you don't mean it. Um, and it's difficult because you, you have to ask the questions. It's actually an art to doing it. And uh, Jeff, Pat Peterson and all that have been doing it a while now. But it's, I, I've, uh, I remember doing United, actually, when they uh, played Middlesbrough and the referee gave a penalty against them and... It's Andy Derso and all the players surrounded him and Rory Keane was jabbing his finger and I had to ask Fergie about that and uh, and it, it was tricky because he just went, well, it wasn't a penalty and, and I was trying to find different ways of answering it and I had two or three goes and then he did give me a bit of a look and I thought I'm going to have to give up here. I mean, they later, I think they later apologised but obviously again, that was 10 Fifteen minutes after the full-time whistle, and they're, you know, they're, they're still thinking about it big time and uh, full of the emotion of the occasion. But uh, yeah, sure. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it can go wrong. But to be honest, most managers know what to expect now and um, deal with it in their in their own way.
0: As well as commentating at uh, some of the biggest and most iconic venues in the UK, I imagine in your time you've you visited some places that you probably never expected to visit and. When I, when I use the word unusual here, I don't mean unusual in a disrespectful way. I just mean in a place you never thought you would, you would go. Where's the most unusual place you've, you've called a match?
1: Oh, there's been a few, to be fair. I've um, been to about 20, I was trying to work it out, 25 countries, maybe even more, covering football. I mean, how lucky is that? Um, I have to say, one of the... Uh, well, certainly the hottest was Macedonia when Scotland started one of their qualifying campaigns there. Their pitch side temperature was... a 104 degrees, and uh, to be honest, you, once you stepped outside the aircon of the hotel, that was it. You were sweating non-stop without even walking anywhere. Um, and, uh, the, Scot- the Scotland players, you could see them visibly wilting in the heat as well. So that's one I, I always remember. Uh, I remember doing a friendly in Braga, Portugal, Scotland, and the rain was unbelievable, and the commentary position was actually in the open. and um, The rain was actually coming in, almost covering your ankles because it was concrete, and uh, it just never stopped and my notes were all soaked couldn't see anything um, so there's been uh, many a many a wonderful place and a few in the Champions League as well when we used to cover that uh, far-flung places I remember going to um, Donetsk with Celtic a couple of times and uh, uh, that was a, an interesting place because they were trying to move from where they were like a lot of Eastern European cities to become you know a bit more attractive to people uh, but I remember we arrived there, we were in a dodgy hotel, which uh, had insects going on in the bed and everything, so we had to shift hotels, and there weren't many around, so they put us in a place called the Don Bass Palace Hotel, which I think is still standing today, and it was like five-star luxury, uh, unbelievable, one of the best hotels I've ever stayed in, in a place that you don't really expect it, but it was actually part of the guy who ran the football club that... Put this hotel up and it was an astonishing place so yeah so
0: so many stories and so lucky to get to so many different countries. When you travel for Champions League or an international tournament is that when you really get time to to sit and share stories with the likes of the co-commentators that you're working with and really get some good insight and and some really interesting tales from the ex-pros?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've had uh, many good trips uh, with uh, mainly David Brown then and uh, a few others as well. And uh, listen, they're great trips. You can't, you know, it's they're just it's a privilege to go on them. Uh, sometimes in days gone by, you used to actually travel with the with the team on the plane um, with Scotland or indeed sometimes with Celtic, I think, and, and Rangers. If it was a, somewhere like Donetsk probably, that was quite difficult to get to. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've 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 certainly got a few stories uh, from those trips, and um, uh, like I say, very lucky to be on them.
0: Just to, to before we finish, obviously it would be, I'm be me not to ask. Sky have got the the exclusive rights for Scottish football for the next five years. Just how excited are you to to have the opportunity to be calling games for the for the long term future, especially when it comes to Scottish football?
1: big time uh, yeah we've uh, we've got an exclusive deal now that's you know the rights television rights come and go and uh, sky have been long term supporters of the Scottish game now for a very long time in fact and uh, and it's it's great to be involved with it still and uh, hopefully for, for a few years to come yeah, um, yeah really good and um, I can't wait for the new, new season I, I can't imagine I mean I've been lucky enough to have done games but for for, for the for the fans who haven't been to a game for five months and still won't be able to at least they will get some football back in terms of watching it on the uh, television it's it's not the same but it is f- still football and players are funny they just adapt to these things and and get on with it but uh, so it's going to be good to, to get the football going again in scotland and uh, even better when hopefully we can gradually get a few fans back through the door and then Eventually get back to normal. That might be a fair way away. I guess it will. I don't know. That's for other people to decide. But it'll be good to be able to watch some football. uh But certainly Aberdeen Rangers behind closed doors is going to be a weird experience for all of us. Because uh, when you walk to the gantry at Petondry you have to go past the away fans to get there, and um, there's always a good bit of banter flying about, shall we say. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be uh, it's going to be strange at an empty stadium, but. Um, as I say, in the English games I've done, fair play to the players because it can't be easy for them. But they generally have got on with it. And uh, but obviously, we need the fans
0: back. Definitely. And just a few quick-fire questions before you go, Ian. Um, favourite sport outside of football? Um, yeah, I'm not a,
1: not a great golfer. Uh, everyone says I should be. I might take it up yet, actually, late on in life. Uh, I'd probably go for tennis because I used to play it a bit. I know I don't look like an athlete, but it was about a few years ago. To be fair, uh, and I really love watching the tennis tournaments. Uh, you know, not just Wimbledon but US Open and Australian and so on. So, I would
0: say that my second sport would be tennis. In terms of commentary, have you ever commentated on any other sports? Funnily enough, I, um, I commentated on swimming
1: once for a video. Uh, things you do for money, and I didn't know anything <laughs> about it at all. Uh, it's probably one of the worst commentaries I've ever done. Uh, I know some might dispute that, but, uh, yeah, that was hard. And, uh, back in the Capitol days, I remember doing, uh, the, um, remember doing a horse race. Uh, I think it was a Derby. Uh, it was during Kenny Everett's show on Capitol Radio at the time. And we did it sitting in front of a telly, obviously, because we weren't going to go to Ascot for it. And that was tough. And my respect for horse racing commentators, uh, is still here to this day after trying to keep up with all those different colours. And uh, although having having had uh, Kenny Everett next to me just laughing and shortening away, kind of helped me through it. But uh, yeah, that was very much a one-off. I don't think I could ever do horse racing again, and uh, I'd be too embarrassed to commentate on swimming again with a complete lack of knowledge as to the techniques. Favorite film. Favorite film. Uh, ooh, favorite film, I quite like the old uh, Shawshank Redemption officer and a Gentleman. I don't think I'd be be uh, very different to some people on that front, but uh, I also like the old Steve Martin, John Candy. That was uh, that was a brilliant, brilliant partnership and uh, really funny. So, uh, yeah, yeah, good film. Favorite music. Favourite music is quite simple for me. I absolutely love the musical Les Miserables. Uh, I've got just about every recording going. I've seen it 20-odd times. Um, when I used to live in London, a guy I shared a flat with uh, or a house with used to have a ticket master, so I used to get a late return. So we were in our early 20s then with no money and nothing to do, so we just used to go and watch. Phantom of the Opera and Le Miserable all the time. Love Phantom as well, by the way, but Le Miserable would definitely be the favourite. Got it on in the car all the time. Annoy the wife by singing it around the house. And uh, yeah, just
0: a fabulous musical. If you ever get the chance to go and see it,
1: do it. But of course, we've got to wait for the theatres to reopen
0: as well. You've been in Scotland for for many years working. Where would you say is your top three places to visit in Scotland out with football? Uh, Well, I do
1: love Glasgow uh, as a city. Fantastic people are great and um but I'd I also like a Lomond, and uh we we uh, are frequent visitors there uh the Clacket inn at drimnin I've been known to prop up the bar there a few times with a pint of guinness on the go uh when you get the locals in as well as the tourists brilliant But um, the locals are certainly characters uh generally a lot of places in scotland really there's actually Despite coming here for 22 years, we've tried to do the rounds, but there's so many places that I haven't actually visited. I do like the Highlands as well, uh, Inverness. Um, so many places out there that, that I haven't actually seen and, and intend to put that right over the next few years because it is a beautiful country, and that's uh, one thing that I do sell to people down south. You've got to come up and see some of these places uh, because they are just extraordinary, and I've got many a picture in my phone that uh, that I share. It's... Uh, it's a fabulous country, uh, as I say, so much to see and so much that we haven't yet seen, so we'll have to do
0: it. Tea or coffee? Coffee, black, no sugar. Beer or wine? Uh, wine,
1: either colour. I uh, don't mind the odd beer, especially in the, in the summer, but uh, generally I, I don't mind the Guinness, but generally I prefer a nice glass of wine. Favourite meal? Favourite meal would actually be chilli con carne with rice, which, is, which the wife says is boring, but I love it. So what the heck, with a bit of garlic bread on the side, even better.
0: <laughs> and, and I'll finish with a football question. I'm really putting you on the spot with this one. It's probably going to be a difficult one for you to answer, but I'm interested to get your perspective. What would you rather commentate on Champions League final or World Cup final? Uh,
1: I think I would probably go for the World Cup final I'm never going to get the chance but uh, yeah I think the World Cup final would be, uh, would be out there wouldn't it I mean the Champions League is great and everything um, but the World Cup is, uh, would be a different level so yeah I'm uh, a bit jealous of the boys who get to do it uh, but um, that would be uh, some experience for me but uh, I'd take any final anywhere because I do like a, a good cup final that's for sure
0: Absolutely and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show Ian and I look forward to hearing you in Scottish football for the, for the years to come and especially when it comes to the international games as well because I think we all need some, some joy when it comes to the national team hopefully we can get there soon
1: Yeah we can but hope and uh, maybe it will happen uh, I know we've got to play Israel about 27 times but hey at least we'll get used to them and uh, hopefully they'll make it to, to the next year's tournament because that would be really good for everyone uh, involved You've had some cracking guests on here, Callum. Sorry, it took a bit of a downturn over the last hour or so, mate. <laughs> Don't we, Dave? Thank you very much.